Amen. Would you guys go ahead and stand up with me? We're going to read scripture together. We've been in Romans chapter 8. So we got a little chunky portion of scripture we're going to go through today. So let's follow along. If you're on your phones, this is ESV. I recommend the screen because there will be strategic pauses for the people. Okay. You guys ready? Also, don't, don't focus too hard on getting it right. Just focus on like the power of the word as we're speaking this, okay? Can we, can we do that together? All right. Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's more. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Someone say hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together and then have a seat. Jesus, Jesus, I'm just a man up here. I don't want glory. We don't want glory from our worship, from our production, from the cool church building, whatever it is. God, this is not about a man on a stage right now and how eloquent I can preach and how powerful the Sunday was. This is about seeing Jesus, Jesus, as you really are. My desire is that hearts are captivated by Jesus. Let hearts be captivated by Jesus, God, not captivated by anything else but Jesus himself. And let the truth come, the truth who is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Let him come. 
Let him come and bring freedom, God, even today. (laughs) Carry your word into our hearts. Let it be seeds in good soil. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. There's one final thing I forgot. Molly, it's your birthday. Molly's one of my dearest friends on this planet, and also she's one of our leaders here on our core team. Would you go ahead and embarrassingly stand up as we sing, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. All right, we're all over the show today. It's great. All right, a little recap. If you've not been with us, uh, I'm going to catch you right up here. Um, We've been going through Romans chapter 8, which is all about life in the Spirit. How we are those who are called Christians, which Christian is not just a title. That is life in Christ. Jesus himself living through us. The Spirit of God living through us. And we get to be those who live life in the Spirit not those who live life in the flesh because of the resurrection power of Jesus. We talked a couple weeks ago about scales and how how we're balancing all the heavy things in our life and all the temporary worries and cares and the things where we feel stuck and the troubles and the family dramas and whatever it is, and then we compare that against all of eternity and that we have all of eternity to celebrate in heaven and the freedom that comes in eternity. And so we can't even compare all of these things to what is lying ahead. That is the eternal hope that we have in our God. And then we talked about the groaning, the groaning and how earth is groaning. We are groaning. We are groaning, but in the groaning is hope. There is hope in the groaning. And so as we are groaning, what are we groaning for? There's a deep longing within us for the completion of the saving work of Jesus, the tension of the already and the not yet that is rich in Paul's theology and how we have the first fruits of the Spirit, but we still await the day when our bodies will be fully redeemed, the day when we are raised from the dead. Adoption. Our our adoption as sons and daughters already occurred in that legal sense, and we're already enjoying many of those privileges, but how much more in that day to come when the fullness in our perfect resurrected bodies and the hope that we have there. And so besides John 3.16, which we could paint underneath our eyes as a witness to the good Lord, which many do, on the football fields. We're in Los Angeles. You guys are like, what are you talking about? You have no idea. Sports. Sports exist, everyone. Sometimes they put black under their eyes and they write John 3.16. It's a, it's a nice witness. Okay. So besides John 3.16, one of the most uh, known portions of scripture is right here in Romans 8.28. Many, many people have called it the greatest promise in all of scripture. And we want to read that one more time. That's the verse we're focusing on, Romans 8, 28. This time, I'm mixing it up, NIV. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
Now, the thing about this verse is that a lot of people know it, and a lot of people have it as a bumper sticker. A lot of people have it as a nice bookmark. And, you know, it's, it's pretty uplifting, isn't it, to hear? And, and I think there's something about this crazy tension that we see in this verse, the tension between the, the glorious hope in this verse of peace and comfort and relief, as well as the potential of the horrible misuse of this verse. And we're going to get into that. But some people lo- love it. You know, you could share it with a friend, and they're like, I'm a spiritual person. I love this. All things are working together. Yeah. By the way, I love your aura. So positive. All things are working together. I love that. I'm going to use that someday. But this sparkly promise that all things that happen are working for good brings confusion. Because one day you might find yourself standing next to parents in a tiny casket where we're all trying to make sense of it all. And one day you might be trying to find words to console a friend whose spouse just left them for someone else. And one day you're going to be contemplating the horrendous acts of the Holocaust or the Crusades and be wondering, where was God in that? Did he allow that? Did he cause that? Were those somehow part of his greater redemptive plan? And this is hard to reconcile. How, how was the hand of God involved in these things? Was the hand of God involved in these things? You know, there's a lot of dogs in the house today, if you hadn't noticed. Many pups in the pantry. But... All right. But in our, in our pain and in our confusion, we always have a choice. Every time you're facing something that's painful... Every time you're, you're facing something of suffering, we have, we have two choices. It's a fork in the road. You can move further away from God and look at him with some kind of, who is this cruel God that, that is doing this or allowing this in my life? Or in the middle of the valley and in the middle of the mystery, you can run to him like a child. And Jesus says, in the kingdom of God, you have to be childlike. There's a calling to be childlike, that in the middle of the mystery, we don't understand fully what's going on, but we're running into the arms of a good and safe father. That's, and that's where we have to be, but we wrestle through these emotions of, of how did God allow this? How could a good God allow this in my life or in these friends' lives? In the lowest valley, we find our father there to meet us. And sometimes we don't hear all the words that we want to say, but he's present and he's good. And we find in those moments of the valley a special presence of God that we can only find in the valley season. When we read verses like, we know that all things, all all of that works together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We read verses like that, so we're thinking, okay, so everything that happens, whatever tragedy, whatever heartache, God's allowing that to happen. He's got some sort of purpose. He's trying to make you better, that all of your hardships are God trying to work some redemptive purpose in your life. Well, we don't understand, brother. God's ways are higher than our ways, but he has a purpose in it. 
And, and I think about an example where there's a pastor who's conducting a funeral of two teenage kids who got drunk, didn't know the Lord, and they wrapped their car around a pole and died. And he's conducting this funeral and he slaps this verse, mysteriously, God's working all things together for good. And, and, and how honestly insensitive of him is that, that in the middle of that grief, he, he decides to make a point that, well, we don't know. Maybe he's saving them from a whole lifestyle of mess. But how does logic fit into this? Because these kids didn't even know the Lord. They're not spending eternity with the Lord in heaven. They didn't even know him. How is this, how does this make sense at all with what we see in scripture? But we, we give these cliche responses in the middle of grief because we don't know how to handle it. And it actually leads us to very poor theology. And it leads us to theology that's disengaged and powerless. And you're actually shackling yourself to disappointment and thinking this is the God that I'm worshiping. A God that's cruel, the God that is this righteous judge. He's killing people off. He's allowing it at the very least. And so there, there forms a bitterness within us that doesn't necessarily make us want to draw near to a kind and loving God. And so we start to bring a calloused heart before him in our disappointment and in, in the life struggles that we see, don't we? And so this is a very real reality. I have these discussions time and time again with people. Like, I, 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 would, I would go there, but this thing took place in my life. It's too hard. It's too painful. I, I can't go there. I, I, I have struggles to, to worship and engage with a God. I, I'm not entirely sure that he's good. But the main question is, how do we grapple with this tension in this fallen world? How do we deal with suffering and tragedy and still maintain hope and hold firmly to believe that God is somehow working and weaving my life and my mistakes and all the things in my life for my good and for his glory? And so I want to preach today. I want to preach today a message of when life doesn't make sense. When life doesn't make sense. I want to first look at this verse from a different angle because I do believe there's some confusion around it. There's a New Testament scholar who I love to follow. His name is N.T. Wright. Uh, anyone heard of N.T. Wright before or Tom Wright? A few of you. Look him up. He's a professor of theology. He was at St. Andrews. He was at Oxford. I believe he's still at Oxford. And one of the, one of the greatest authorities on the life of Paul, and he points out that the Greek text has a verb in this passage in the, right in the middle that's integral to its understanding. And so he says, if you're looking from his translation, word by word in the Greek, he says, we know in fact that God works all things together for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And he believes that for is absolutely true, that God is, is for and, and he's working. He has this, this sovereign nature of who the Lord is, but there's a difference when we see that he's working with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. The verb includes working with, not just working for. It's sun ergi. God is, is moving. Erg is the, the work part. Soon is the with. 
He's working with. God works all things together for good with those who love him. So what's the point? What is Paul talking about here? When you're reading this, it might even feel a little disconnected to the previous text, but it's actually intentionally connected. Paul's highlighting the prayer life of the saints. He's highlighting our prayer lives through this passage, and he's giving us keys of how to engage with a vibrant and powerful prayer life, particularly in our lives when the world is so heavy and dark around us, what should our prayer life look like in the spirit? And if we're looking at this passage in context, Paul had just written about how all of creation is growing, groaning like a woman in child, childbirth, aching for a new creation to be born, and, and how there's a groaning in us as we wait for the full adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. But he also writes that the spirit is groaning within us as this is going on. So creation's groaning, we're groaning, and the spirit is groaning. There's a kind of Trinitarian prayer model that he's trying to highlight here. And the point is that right in the middle of the darkness of this world and all of the suffering and all of the ways that it impacts us, God's given his own spirit to work within us, to be a part, co-laboring with the ongoing work in the world and through us to the world. And so here we see in verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Someone say, amen, I need the Spirit's help. Someone needs a little extra of the Spirit's help today. (laughs) Relatable. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. How many, especially when we're in a place of grief, we're like, "I, I, I can't even find the words to say, honestly. I'm trying to scribble something down. I'm trying to put on some good soaking music in the car, and but I, I, I'm having trouble finding the words to say. Well, we have the Spirit of God, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Some of you might be thinking, oh, groanings too deep for words, that sounds like tongues. It very well could be tongues, I believe that's part of it, but I don't believe that every believer has tongues. And so if we're looking at this passage, it could be that groaning of the Spirit with tongues, but it could also just be the groaning within us in other dimensions as well, the groaning of the Spirit. Verse 27, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The word used here for makes intercession is a compound word, meaning he takes a hold with us. When you are interceding, the Holy Spirit is taking a hold with you. You are not doing it alone in your own strength, just babbling a bunch of nonsense. You're not standing on the street corner just just speaking out some eloquent words, trying to get something to happen or be impressive or whatever it is. This is the Holy Spirit that as we decide to step in and to stir up our prayer life a little bit, the Holy Spirit's like, good, I can work with that. They stepped into the water and we can see how it parts, right? As we step in with our prayer life, the Holy Spirit takes that and breathes upon our simple prayers and brings this this intercession of the Spirit, the groaning of the Spirit into our prayer life. The point isn't that God's just at work without our involvement. 
I guess everything's just happening to me. The hand of God's making some sort of refined human over here. And just, I guess I'll watch how it all unfolds. It's, it's also definitely not just you and your own works and making things happen. But when we begin to intercede, that's the Holy Spirit taking a hold of you and your groanings and intercession. And when we pray and begin to stir that up, it's the quickening of the Holy Spirit. It's the energizing and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it makes it that much more effective than it would be just in our own strength. Years ago, I woke up from a dream, holy fear of the Lord. Have you ever had that where you wake up from a dream and you're like, I don't want to move. There's the holiness of God, the awe of God in the room. And it's a beautiful thing, but it's, it's that fear of the Lord, right? I don't know if you've got, experienced that. Experience it in Jesus' name in your life. Because it's powerful, it's good, it's marking. Well, I woke up with that from a dream that I had. And in this dream, I was in this enormous courtroom. It looked like Grand Central Station's lobby times 12. All right, and it, it kind of felt heavenly, honestly. And off to the side was a jury, and off to the side was the accuser. Satan was off to the side. And he was looking to see how I would respond to the, the accusations coming towards me. And I, 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 in my fragility, turned to the Lord. And he was on his throne behind me. Seated on his throne behind me, looking out over this grand courtroom. And I just started praying. And my prayer, facing the Lord, was releasing this, this kind of purple smoke or incense to the Lord. And it, it, was, it was coming towards the throne and then kind of softly billowing backwards, and it was starting to fill the room. But then the Lord looked at me and he said, turn and let me fill you. Whoa. So I turned to the courtroom, and I could feel in my very back and my core his words start to fill me and speak through my mouth and into the courtroom. And immediately there was a shaking and a holiness that, that tore apart every bit of accusation and every other word because the power of God was coming through my voice. And I believe the point of that is that we can speak to God and we can bring our petitions and our requests and we can come to him. And there's, that's beautiful. It's powerful. We're giving our, our best to him. But there's a moment when he says, now turn to the situation. Turn to the cancer. Turn to the issue where the enemy has a foothold. And now speak to it. And speak to it with the life breath of the Spirit. From me and through you to the situation. And I've always remembered that. I've always remembered that, that there's moments where I have that commissioning of the Lord to speak to the situation and to see all of darkness tremble. The Holy Spirit interceding, taking a hold of us, groaning with intercession. And here we get to verse 28. And we know all things work together for good. Did you notice the conjunction? And it's connected. So Paul's saying, when you're interceding and when you're resisting the devil and you're doing all that you know how to do, the Holy Spirit takes a hold of you and his power is released through you. Then, then things are filled with the power and orchestration of God for your good. Are you understanding? 
So we know that God works all things together for good, for, through, and with those who love him. For those who love him. The idea of loving God points back to the Shema. You'll find this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. One of those famous prayers of all of Scripture. There even used to be a mezuzah by this door. I believe there's Jewish owners here. And if you go to different Jewish either residences or businesses, you'll find a mezuzah on the door frames because they were instructed to put, put the, the law of the Lord and these prayers on the door frames. And so here, here they, they include, part of that is the Shema, which is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your might. And so Paul has already, that was, that was a lot of phlegm. Did you hear that? I'm sorry. I, I don't know if I could replicate it, but I kind of want to. Just kind of fired out. All right, <laughs> these things happen up here. You never know what you're gonna get. Paul already alluded back to this in Romans chapter five, but it's a picture of us, of, of us being invited by God to share with the work that he is doing, to co-labor, to pray with him as those who love him. But in Western theology, we get a little nervous of this. And there's a reason that Western theology is nervous of, of this, this working together because we, we think that there's something of, well, we don't want to confuse people because salvation is through faith and by grace alone, and it's not by our works. And, and we know that that's absolutely entirely true. But, but this, this idea here is uh, of synergism but, but that's because we, we don't want it to get confused with whether there's any other way that we could be saved. And so I want to tell you that is not what Paul is talking about here. This doesn't have to do with salvation alone. This is talking about those who have come to faith, who do love God, those who are in the Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit work in them. That's how God works in the world, with and through those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It's not just a calling of God to salvation. It's a calling to be part of his purpose and his plan, to be an integral part of what God's doing in the world. So there's actually a a narrowing that's taking place with, with who this promise applies to. And for this promise to be activated in your life, we have to be a people who are A, born again, B, love God, and unfortunately, there's a lot of believers out there that struggle with even loving God. C, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to supernaturally pray with and through you. And D, you're living a life that is yielded to the purposes of God and obedient to them. That is who this is for. These things are not just working out for the good for everybody. And so what's at play? What is causing so much pain? So often people come to me and they think everything that happens is the hand of God. Everything that happens. Sometimes people come to me and they think everything that happens is a work of the enemy. The devil did it. The devil made my hoses explode at my plumbing in the morning. The devil confused my girlfriend and she broke up with me. 
Listen, there, there may be some truth to that. But they're looking under every rock. The devil did it. Option three, God could be testing you. Not, we talked about this before. Not every moment of life is meant to be comfortable. He's actually here to refine us and to move us to look more and more like Jesus. So sometimes you're like, I remember thinking this circa 2008. I was in a job that I hated. And I was like, oh, dear Lord, is this a work of the enemy? <laughs> and he's like, this is, this is a good season for you, son. And I say, I don't see it. I don't see this. This is, I'm a social person and I have no social life right now. This sucks. And he's like, you can either lean into this or be calloused. What are you going to do? Uh, lean into it. I'm going to lean into it. And that ended up being the season, because I had no social life. So I became social with the Lord. And I... Thank God for circa 2008. It was great. Okay. And option four, we live in a fallen world where we are ministers of reconciliation, but things are still falling apart. Our, our, the threads on our tires wear out. And some of you are like, I, I didn't get new tires and they popped on the 405. And I'm like, yeah, we live in a fallen world. Get new tires. Okay. But so often we blame God for things that are actually the work of the enemy. So often we blame God for things that are the work of the enemy. And I got to tell you, it's a tactic of Satan to attribute to God what is actually the hand of evil. And the enemy wants you to turn your back on God and distance yourself and question his goodness. And so we get these horrible beliefs and doctrines. He's a good God but he'll put cancer in you for his purposes. He's a good God, but he'll, he'll make your spouse cheat on you and leave you. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be really refining. Someone goes, someone goes to a lake. They're with their friends. They're in a kind of a rebellious state. There's clear signs, no diving. But they choose to jump off the rock head first, and they break their neck and become a quadriplegic. And somehow they say, God did that. God did that to me. God allowed that. No, your rebellion did that to you. And we have to be aware that our sin and our choices have consequences. We're not being light on that. And I want to address that because even if you have made those mistakes, even if you've had those rebellious seasons, God can, when you choose to return to him and love him and put everything into your, your love and desire to yield to him, he will use it all again. He will use it all again. But if you, if you entered in through your own rebellion and made choices that were destructive, you will suffer the consequences. God did not do that. Rebellion did that. You can't go around saying, God's so good, he made me a quadriplegic. But we have this theology, and why is it so popular? God did it. God allowed it. And I would propose that it's because it takes all of the responsibility away from you, no matter what you do. 
When, you, when you're in rebellion against God, when we rebel against our parents, when we dismiss the warning signs, we dive into shallow pools and we break our necks, but somehow we blame shift to God. God, this is your fault. And if we believe this, then we don't have to take ownership when we make mistakes in our own or our own sin. It somehow allows us to continue living for ourselves and living in the flesh without owning the responsibility of how that outcome will continually hurt us and hurt others. I I don't need to renew my mind. God's the problem. No, God's not the problem. God doesn't cause or allow all of this evil, but God can still take anything if you begin to align your lives with loving him and living your life in the spirit and living yielded to his purposes. And some of you are are thinking, I have made those choices. I have been in rebellious seasons. And I have to tell you that it's never too late with God. He can use your past mistakes and still shine through them to testify of his goodness. And praise God, we have that mercy and power of the spirit. Heck, if you dove into those waters and broke your neck, you might even be miraculously healed in Jesus' name. We have a God who is all about redemption and reconciliation. James 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I remember saying that as a kid. I had this verse memorized. I'm sure I got a gold star in second grade. But I would... Sometimes in the middle of the night, the enemy would try to attack me. And I'd wake up, you know, in that paralysis. And you could feel evil in the room. And all I knew what to do was say the name Jesus. And I would literally quote it out loud. I submit to God. I resist the devil and you will flee from me. My voice wasn't that deep yet. I submit to God. (laughs) But I swear to you, I just kept doing it. And this thing left. My friends know I sleep really good now. (laughs) Sleep really, really good. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. So often, Satan is the source of our pain and our suffering. But if you embrace it because you think it's from God to make you better, then you forfeit any resistance to the enemy. Resist here means to actively fight against. If you don't resist, he's not going to flee from you. So Satan's tactic is to lull believers into accepting this doctrine to be passive and disengaged from prayer and warfare and just accept everything that it comes our way. Just accept it all. It must be from God. And they think all this hardship, all this failure, all this suffering, it must be from God, right? And I I can't resist it because then I'd be resisting God. That's the deception of the enemy. And sometimes the enemy is sending literal troops into your house, into your territory. And we say, come on in, have some dinner, stay a while, make yourself at home. This must be from God. But the enemy's trying to kill you. He's trying to take you out. 1 John 3, 8. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason that Jesus came was to destroy the devil's work. And if we too are functioning in the ministry of Jesus, we are called to destroy the works of the enemy. 
So there are four factors when facing pain. Our own choices, sin, sin of others even. Number two, the work of the enemy. Number three, God could be testing you. And number four, we live in a fallen world. Now, that being said, I know that was heavy. That being said, now we can find that place of immense joy and peace in the promise of God. When I'm living like this, fully surrendered, obedient as a child of God, living in the spirit, I can be confident that all things are working together for my good. No matter what I've done, no matter what has been done to me, God will work it all for my good. My current struggles, my current hardships, he is working it for my good. And I wanna give you an example. When I still was living in Chicago, and I was planning to move out here, but I was, I was scared of God's timing. Timing was a whole thing in my life. I was always afraid of, of timing, and, and still it's something that I have to work through with the Lord, being a little nervous of timing. Now, while I was in Chicago, I, I, I knew the Lord had called me to church plant here in Los Angeles. And um, you guys know my story probably that um, I'm still single. I've never been married. And so here I am thinking, gosh, do I go now before all these before I'm married, have two kids, a lab, and it's all like looking good, you know? But I, I felt strongly that God said to go now. I said, God, who would even, who would even wanna listen to, do people in LA, would they wanna listen to a, a single guy talk about Jesus? I was like, traditionally, most pastors are married. I know the Catholics, you know, they're not, but I don't got a priest collar. And so I was like, I'll go, I guess I'll go. But I was still, you know, working. You hear the, you hear the word and then you're wrestling it through, right? And so this, this awesome woman named Claire Hosong, she's uh, from Jamaica. She began um, meeting with me every week or two. And an uh, older woman, so much grace and beauty in her life. And she would just sit down, we'd get coffee together and, and, you know, she was mentoring me in this place. And she goes, Tommy, I gotta tell you. She's like, you have more faith that you're gonna screw it up than faith that God's gonna come through. She's like, do you not believe that God is so good that you're living yielded to his voice, that you're following his lead the best that you know how, that you are giving your yes to go to a distant place to bring the gospel of Jesus to see lives changed. Do you think he's looking at that? And he's like, I'm gonna screw over my son. <laughs> Absolutely not. He's gonna say, this is one of my own that I love. And though you might not be fully hearing right now, you're doing the best that you know how to. And God is pleased that you're leaning in to his leadership. And there, there's something to that that applies to this verse. That as we live yielded, as we live pure, as we live righteously, as we live as laid down lovers before the Lord, will he not take you on the path of life and work all things together for good for my son and my daughter whom I love with everything and has chosen to love me in return? This is the God that we serve that he's got us, and I can rest in the fact that even if it's not 
picturesque, even if it's not all placed together yet, because there's still a lot of mystery, right? There's still a lot of mystery. There's still a lot of questioning. And hallelujah, one day in heaven, all of that's going to be, an- either it's all going to be answered or we're not going to care. One of the two. We're going to be at the feet of Jesus and we're going to see as it really is. That's our eternal hope. And that's the, that's the peace that passes understanding that, that lies within the, the hearts and lives of those that follow Jesus. So I want to end with this. God is praying with me. He's praying through me. He's working in me. He's working through me. I'm praying with him and through him. And I'm living as a laid down lover, daily posturing myself once again to let go of my rights, to let go of temptations and sin, to let go of of things that I try to get my way, and I simply abide. I rest. I remain. I recalibrate to the heartbeat of the Father again. And living with Jesus is all about walking and talking with him, obeying and trusting. And we get to watch how this all unfolds day by day, how he's weaving all things together for my good, for his greater glory. It doesn't mean that everything's gonna be comfortable. It doesn't mean that everything's gonna be in the way that I want it to be done. But it is for me um, more and more to look like Jesus to experience the closeness to Jesus and bearing good fruit for the kingdom and final glorification. He is good, he is good, and we can rest in his faithfulness. He is good, and we can rest in his faithfulness. Let's go ahead and stand up. I know I cracked open this topic of suffering and pain. That is an enormous topic. But I do want to just give you a few, a few things to just meditate on. A few things to meditate on when it comes to the goodness of God moving towards him in the middle of mystery and letting him be present with you before you have all the answers. Because the promise is that as we live as those laid down lovers, that that peace that passes understanding actually becomes realized in our lives. And we start operating at a level of extreme trust, leaning into his faithfulness, leaning into his power and not our own. And that is a freeing place to be. And from that posture, from that position, we actually live in a place of experiencing grace upon grace, moving in and through our lives and seeing things that felt impossible topple before the name of the Lord and seeing our lives transform to look and feel saturated with the love of God and to see a life that is fruitful and full of Him. So let's go ahead and close our eyes, go ahead and get in a posture of just a posture of just connecting with his presence. 
We thank you, God, for the power of the gospel. We thank you, God, for the power of of Jesus that's alive in sons and daughters. And we ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would move powerfully with this truth, that you are good, that you are for us, that you are with us, and that you're moving through us. And God, that we would never wanna be the same as we yield to you and as we look up to your eyes of love and fire and decide to trust this man, Jesus, with our everything, knowing that as we live before you, you've got it all. You've got it all. What immense freedom comes as we look to you and trust Jesus daily. So Holy Spirit, do that work within us. Ignite that flame even right now and let it carry on into the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen.